Welcome to the podcast of the Believer's Bible Class, a part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Each week we share the Bible lesson from our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. Doug has studied the biblical scriptures throughout his life and is knowledgeable in both ancient Greek and Hebrew, which makes his explanations of scripture all the more interesting and most certainly all the more accurate. Professionally, Doug is an attorney, although he considers his Bible teaching as his godly profession. This lesson is part of the Discipleship University class, a part of the ministry of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. Our teacher, Doug Brady, is teaching this class, which is just one class among many during this spring semester. The title of the class, False Teaching and the Doctrine of Demons. This is the fourth lesson in the series. Doug has named this lesson, Contemplative Prayer, A Way to God or A Way to Satan. Here we learn about contemplative prayer, which is a substitute for what we are taught in the Holy Bible. Doug explains in very minute fashion what it is and how it destroys our contact with Jesus. Well, I see that Doug is now ready to start the class, so let's go into the classroom, find a seat, and prepare for this lesson. Here now is our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. I entitled this, this talk, to contemplative prayer, a way to God or a way to Satan. And I think it's the latter. And we're going to see why here. But you have to understand that one of the largest infestation of demonic doctrines in the church has come from something called the New Age movement. Now, I am fortunate that I have a good friend who is a believer and who came out of the New Age movement. And she knows a little bit about what they do and how they think and what's important to them. And I can bounce things off of her. But this New Age movement has spawned another of things that have crept into the church. There are a number of churches that practice Christian yoga. And they have Christian yoga classes. They also Christian tarot cards. Now, there's, that's not the name they use for them, but it's description that I'm using. And they use those... To divine your future. Now, is that Christian or is that something else? You know, there are these books that we've talked about like Jesus Calling and God Calling. There's the emergent church movement that is bringing all of this in. There's an introduction of the occult, first to society in general. And then, in fact, do you know one of the principal means that the church has, that has been used by Satan to soften the church up to the occult. Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. And you know, you, you can turn on Hallmark channels, supposedly one of the bastions for good television still, and you'll find a show called The Good Witch. And, well, you know, what's wrong with a good witch? And, uh, well, the fact is she's a witch. But anyway, that's coming in. Now, also comes... Now, wait a second. I'm not talking about anybody's wife, Chris. I was talking about a television show. Come on now, give me a little credit. There's this inclusion of mysticism that's come into the church and the priority of experience over Scripture, which is really one of the main things that you'll... And we're going to see that tonight as I uh, go over things. But one such attack on the church 
on uh, doctrinal purity is something referred to as contem contemplative prayer. We're going to talk tonight about contemplative prayer and what that means. But before we start, I think it would be appropriate to pray. Father, as we come before you tonight to look into this doctrine or this means of deceit that is being infused into the church slowly but surely, that people are part of it, help us to come to recognize what it really is and how it's being used to thwart the spiritual growth of the people involved and to take them, in fact, the other way. Help us, Father, to realize that as this slowly, slowly creeps into our churches, if we don't do something about it, pretty soon we'll leaven the whole lump. That's not, Father, help us to be strong against sin, even in infinitesimal increases, because we have to recognize what's coming, not just for us, but for our children and our grandchildren if you tarry that long. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, sometimes contemplative prayer is referred to as centering prayer. Although really centering prayer is really just a part of contemplative prayer. Sometimes it's referred to as listening prayer. But it's taught by a number of people, some of whom you, you may not recognize. I want to see if how many of you know about any of these people. The first one is Thomas Merton. Has anybody heard of him? Yes? Well, my wife is very, very up on this, so she's probably heard of all of them. How about Thomas Keating? Anybody besides Julie heard? I've, I got one back there. How about Basil Pennington? He's more from uh, the other side of the pond, so to speak, but he's very involved. Richard Foster. Okay. How about uh, Dallas Willard? I was shocked being at a meeting... And hearing the pastor talk to us as Sunday school teachers in the church. And as we left, he handed out a book. Guess who the author was? Dallas Willard. Now at the time, I was ignorant. But by the time I got home and showed it to my wife, I very soon was educated. <laughs> and that book didn't make it to the bookshelves in our house. Now, another one. You ever heard of Rick Warren? Oh, Rick Warren. He believes in contemplative prayer. Uh, how about this lady? Yep. Beth Moore. You know, I, I found, I don't know if I could find it again, I found a list of the top ten heretics in the evangelical church. Now, I think it was a Presbyterian church that put this list out. But you know who was number one on their list? Beth Moore. Now, this is the one that shocked me, and I don't know whether I believe it or not, but I've read several things where they say this guy is even involved in contemplative prayer. Charles Stanley. To me, that's sad. Now, obviously his son... No, the son is way off. But Charles, I've listened to him before. I, he's, if he is, I'm just very saddened by that. Now, you need to understand that the promoters and we're going to see this specifically, of this practice, they will quote sources. They don't tell you necessarily sources, but what they are is medieval mystics. Medieval mystics. In the time of the Middle Ages, when the Catholic Church was going, a group of was going monastic, and they became involved in these kind of practice. They also will, will quote Hindu and Buddhist spiritual teachers, and they'll quote them as authoritative or instructive on what to do. And 
this practice, of course, is slowly increasing in popularity and is very strongly encouraged in the emergent church movement. And how many of you know about the emergent church movement? So, that, you know, I've got like four different topics left in one class to teach them in, and I'm trying to determine which topic. The emergent church movement embraces a number of unscriptural ideas and practices, and contemplative prayer is one of them. Now, our modern contemplative prayer movement has roots in the monastic period of Christianity in the early Middle Ages, which was a time of experimentation and mystical practices. Mystical practices, what, what does that mean, mystical practices? It means having to do with mystical religions, having to do with the occult, having to do with spirit communication. Now, let me ask you, there are, when you say spirit communication, is there any communication really between us and the dead? Answer, no. Are there other spirits out there that we could communicate with? Yes, and those are angelic beings. When does an angelic being that is God's angelic being, that is a follower of the Most High God, when does he communicate with us? Only when God instructs him to. When does an angelic being who follows Lucifer communicate with us? Whenever we will let him. They want us to think that it's God's. Chris? I just want to say this real quick. I've been preaching the last couple of years in dozens of churches, and I've been interim pastor four times. And it's interesting. This is how important this is. It's interesting when I give a message, the first people that come up to me in many of these churches, maybe most of them have a spiritual, spiritualistic, mystic type experience they want to tell me about. And it's in, and, and, and I'm kind of taken back every time it happens, but it happens all the time. So what you're saying here is important. And, you know, it it's, can be devastating to, to the church and the Christian, you know, one of the things that you will see when people get into this mystic mode, one of the first things happens is they cool towards evangelism. That's not important. Now, let's talk about the way new practitioners for contemplative prayer are taught to do it. How they're taught. Number one, you, they say you choose a text of the scripture. And you think, well, wait a second. If you're choosing a passage from the Scripture, how can this be bad? That's good, isn't it? Should we not pray the Scriptures to God? Well, yeah, we should. But let's keep going. Next, you place yourself in a comfortable position and allow yourself to become silent. Now, that's a big thing with them. You remember the phrase that they misquoted in Jesus' calling, be still and know that I'm God? It's the same concept here of this silence. Now... Some Christians focus on a few, for a few moments on their breathing. Now, what does that sound like? Yoga. Yes. Controlling your breathing. Uh, why is that important to prayer? Well, others have a beloved prayer word or prayer phrase. Now, this is, I'm quoting from them. Gently recite. What does that mean? Gently recite. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Recite in order to become interiorly silent. Now what in the world does that mean? 
What that means is open to mysticism and spirit communication. That's what that means. Although they're going to say they're communicating, they want to communicate with the God that is inside of them. For some, the practice is known as centering prayer. It makes a good, brief introduction to this type of prayer. They center themselves on this silent communication. All right. Then they turn to the text and they read it slowly and gently. Whenever you hear somebody saying, well, you ought to say it gently, you ought to read it gently, that's a key. There's a problem. Then they savor each portion of the reading, constantly listening, it's important now, to the still small voice of a word or phrase that somehow says, I am with you today. I'm with you today. Julie? I think that a big part of this is the telltale sign is these people are searching for a higher learning, a higher work in the Lord. Yes, and you'll see that as we get down to the end of this list. Next, you take the word or phrase into yourself. Now what in the world does that mean? Uh, you're taking this phrase out of the scripture and you're taking it into yourself, alright? Then, you memorize it. Now, how difficult is it to memorize one word? But you memorize it, slowly repeating it to yourself, allowing it to interact with your inner world of concerns, memories, and ideas. Here you go, mantra. That's what they're doing. And you're repeating it. And then, you learn to use words when words are helpful. And you learn to let go of words when they're no longer necessary. And finally... You rejoice in the knowledge that God is with you in both words and in silence, in spiritual activity and inner receptiveness. And that's our receptivity. And that's what's going on here. And this is, but now this is just for the first, the beginning teachings of contemplative prayer. Now, yes? How does this relate to Gnosticism? Gnosticism is not as much as, as knowledge is king, but it's not that, as I understand Gnosticism, not that God is inside of you and communicating with you. Although God is not inside of you and it's not communicating you. If there's anybody communicating with you in this kind of thing, it's satanic. But, you know, and some people say, how can you say that? It's satanic. Well, there's only two sources. Yep. Only two. And if it's not God, it's Satan. And Satan disguises himself in every way he can. He even says he can disguise himself as an angel of light to fool you. You know, Jesus said, you know, if possible, even the elect would be fooled. Now, once you graduate from these beginnings, they will many times direct you to the lady of prayer. The one who really set this up. And she was a 16th century uh, mystic whose name was Madame Guyon. And... I found her plan for uh, contemplative prayer, and let me share it with you. It's make use of the Scripture to quiet your mind. Make use of the Scripture to quiet your mind. Now, what she really means by that is to empty your mind. Now, then she says to read the passage of Scripture, and then once you sense the Lord's presence... The content of what you read is no longer important. Do you see that? The content of what you read in Scripture, though Scripture is just to get you there. 
Now it's not important anymore. The scripture has served its purpose. It has quieted your mind and it has brought you to him. Now, it's interesting. That word, I put it in brackets because that's the way she wrote it. She didn't capitalize the H in him. wonder why. Now, you should always remember that you're not there to gain an understanding of what you've read. Rather, you are reading to turn your mind from the outward things to the deep parts of your being. Well, why would you want to turn your mind to the deep parts of your being? Well, let me show you. You are not there to learn or to read, but you are there to experience the presence of the Lord. Now, where is she saying the presence of the Lord is? Right there inside of you. So, what is contemporary prayer really? It begins with centering prayer, a meditative practice, and the purpose is to clear one's mind of outside concern so that God's voice may be more easily heard. Now, you're going to hear His voice, you're going to sense His presence. Well, what is it? It's important what He's telling you. Isn't that exactly what, say, God calling or Jesus calling is talking about? That's what contemplative prayer is. To get you to hear God's voice. Now, if God's voice is coming and it says something different than the Scriptures, what do you listen to? They would tell you, well, this is a more modern revelation. Things have changed now. Okay? Is there more women in this than men? I we could guess, but I am not... I am not... This, this is wider, they're, no, they're quieter, they're more... They're really, well, no, I'm not watching anything. Except this. Uh, they're quieter, they're more gentle already, they're more subject to this, I believe. Just, just looking at it as... I would believe it. Yes, I don't know is the answer what I'd have to tell you, but there are a number of leaders in here that are female in this movement, and I think it's important for us to see. Now, to some people, an exercise like this of contemplative prayers I've described may not seem so bad, it may seem more innocent, but this type of prayer has no scriptural support whatsoever. Look at a passage we all know real well. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. What is it about? It is you going to God with a plan of what you want to say to Him. The devil of prayer, you're not saying anything, going there with a plan. You're going there to block out everything else and let somebody talk to you. Now they would say, well, yeah, but don't you want to talk to God? John 16, 23, 24 says this, In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name, ask and you will receive so that your joy will be made full. What he wants is us to come to him and ask. Ask for what he wants us to have, but it's not to empty ourselves. These verses and a number of others in, in the scripture clearly portray prayer as being comprehensible communication with God, not an esoteric, mystical meditation. That's not what he wants. If there's any meditation going on, does it ever involve emptying? No, it involves filling. Filling with what? Scripture. 
That's the only thing he wants us meditating on is Scripture and the things it teaches. Now, contemplative prayer by design focuses on having a mystical experience with God. Mysticism, however, is purely subjective, subject to emotional deceit, and does not rely on truth or fact. Yet the Word of God has been given to us for the very purpose of basing our faith, our lives, on truth. Isn't that what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16? All scriptures are given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished for all good works. I apologize for quoting it in King James, but that's where I learned it, so I can't help it. Now, what we know about God should be based on fact. Trusting in experiential knowledge over the biblical record takes a person outside of the standard that's the Bible. And that's just as clear as can be in what the Scripture teaches. If you do that. But contemplative prayer is nearly no different than the meditative exercises in the Eastern religions, the New Age cults. Its most vocal supporters embrace open spirituality among adherents of all religions. We can do this with everybody, they say, promoting the idea that salvation can be gained by multiple paths. That's what follows as you join together in contemplative prayer with people from the Hindu and, and Buddhist and other New Age cults. You know, Jesus Christ made it very clear salvation is through Him and Him alone. He is the way. Contemplative prayer as a practice in, in, in the modern prayer movement is in opposition to biblical Christianity and should be definitely avoided. Definitely avoided. Now what I want to do before we finish here, uh, I want to convince you of what I'm trying to tell you. So I've come up or, or I'm putting together five descriptions or five keys to recognizing uh, contemplative prayer. Five truths that you should know. And I've gone through, and I have to admit, I haven't recorded these as well as I should, but they, the quotes are accurate. You just won't find enough necessarily where you could find them. But I'm going to go through, and I'm going to fire these quotes at you, and you're going to see what they're saying, what they're doing. So the first and, and foremost of these uh, concepts uh, is a distinct connection exists between New Age mysticism, Eastern religions, and the occult, and contemplative prayer. That is the first of these truths. There's a distinct connection. You see, all of these people practicing uh, these different religions regard contemplative prayer as part of their own movement. Eastern religions do. New Agers do. Occultists do. And I went through a number of these books. Number one, those who have practiced transcendental meditation may be surprised to learn that Christianity has its own time-honored form of mantra meditation. Well, that's what they're saying is truth. The technique called centering prayer draws on the spiritual uh, exercise of the desert fathers. That is, these monastics during the... Uh, mid-middle ages, early middle ages, the English devotional classic, the cloud of unknowing and the famous Jesus prayer, quote-unquote. Reliance on a mantric centering device is long, has a long history in mystical canon of Christianity. You see what they're saying? 
The meditation of advanced occultists is identical with the prayer of advanced mystics. It is, not, it is no accident that both traditions use the same word for the highest reaches of their respective activities. Contemplation. That's the word they use. This is what's going on. Now, Kundalini has long been known in Taoist, Hindu, and Buddhist spirituality since this energy, uh, Kundalini energy that is, is also at work today in numerous persons who are devoting themselves to contemplative prayer. This book is an important contribution to the renewal of the Christian contemplative tradition. That's what they're saying about this contemplative prayer. The sec Yes. What's interesting, you said Christian contemplative, contemplative tradition. What tradition? Well, it's what they decided to be. And there were a number of mystics. You know, here again, what are they saying is Christian? For example, the Catholic Church is Christian. Well, are most members of the Catholic Church really Christian? No. Especially those monastic uh, mystics who would do all this experimentation and, and spiritual searching quote-unquote, they're spiritists. And they're saying, well, this is all part of the Christian tradition. And that's just even a little start of what they're doing. The other night I heard on Victory Channel, they were saying, we need to settle down and quit looking at our differences to find a way. Now we're saying, Stop looking at our differences. You know, there's a pastor who this week made a statement on Twitter it was about 10 days ago from the Union Seminary in New York. This is part of the Christian tradition. Quote, We believe that Scripture is not inerrant. It is fallible, and only through the levers of critical theory, the lens of critical theory, can we really understand God's message. Well, that's what they're saying. And that's where it's going. All right, truth number two. The main proponents of contemplative prayer have been aligned with Eastern religion from the start. You see, the major proponents of contemplative prayer movement have been or are aligned with this. Uh, here's two that I want to mention. Are Henri Nguyen and Thomas Merton, considered by many to be devout Christians, have intermingled their form of Christianity with Zen, Buddhism, and Sufism. In Henri Nguyen's own book, Pray to Live, he describes Merton as being heavily influenced by Hindu monks. So listen to some quotes from this book. Merton has encountered Zen Buddhism, Sufism, Taoism, and Vendata many years prior to his Asian journey. Merton was able to uncover the stream where the wisdom of the East and the West merge and flow together. Beyond dogma in the depths of inner experience, Merton embraced the spiritual philosophies of the East and integrated this wisdom into his own life through direct practice. That is, his own Christianity has been mixed with this. The author shows wonderful openness to the gifts of Buddhism, Hinduism, and Muslim religion. He discovers their great wisdom for the spiritual life of the Christian and does not hesitate to bring that wisdom home. You see this merger? This mystical stream... That, and to them, mystical stream means contemplative prayer, is the Western bridge to Far Eastern spirituality. See, we need a bridge to Far Eastern spirituality. It is no accident that the most active 
frontier between Christian and Eastern religions today is between contemplative Christian monks and their Eastern equivalents. They're all part of this group that's coming together for a one world church. Soon, let me finish this quote, some forms of Eastern meditation informally have been incorporated or adopted into the practice of many Christian monks and increasingly into other Christians. In other words, are they subverting us? Yes. And it's sad. Right. And they don't have to deal with the Bible because they're getting this special revelation. Number three, the methods in contemplative prayer are the same as in the Eastern religion. That's the that's the second Eastern religions. That's the third truth. According to the New Age movement and the biblical worldview, meditation, chanting mantras, body disciplines, guided imagery, religious mysticism, and self-realization and at one moment are all part of the New Age and Eastern practices. Quote, the techniques of Herbert Benson teaches silence, appropriate body posture, and above all, emptying the mind through repetitive prayer have been the practices of mystics in all the great world religions. And notice that. What is the purpose of repetitive prayer? To empty the mind. And they form the basis on which most modern spiritual directors guide those who want to draw close to God. Silence is the language God speaks. Silence, says Thomas Keating who taught centering prayer to more than 31,000 people in just one year. Keating suggests that those who pray repeat some sacred word like God or Jesus. Now, is he using the word Jesus? Yeah, but is it the Jesus that is real? The Jesus that loves us? No. The 20th century, which has seen so many revolutions, is now witnessing the rise of a new mysticism within Christianity. For the new mysticism has learned from the great religions of Asia. And it has felt the impact of yoga and Zen and the monastic of Tibet or monasticism of Tibet. It pays attention to posture and breathing. It knows about the music of the mantra and the silence of samadhi. Now, what you're seeing here is this combination of East and West. Now, I, the, I hate to say this. Because I was one of the guys back in the 80s who stood all the way around North Park Theater to get in to see the first showing of Return of the Jedi, Star Wars, that, you're familiar with that set of... And what is it all about? It's all about setting up a Roman-type empire representing the West and... Ninja-type knights representing the East and their mystic religion and joining them together. That's what it's about. And it's preparing us for this. And you think, well, yeah, but that was extremely entertaining. And, you know, I loved Luke Skywalker. Well, you may think that, but what you got here is something that Satan's using. And I hate to say it, but it's true. When I first heard that, I said, that's a bunch of baloney. And then I started studying and thinking it through. No, it's not. So we begin to see uh, what is going on. Let me read a couple more quotes to you here. Now, what I say of Zen is true also of Christian mysticism. It also leads to an altered state of consciousness where all is one in God. 
Does God want us to have an altered state? No, he wants us to have the state he gave us. He wants our mind working and not altered. He wants our conscience to be controlled by him. And God is not all. And God's not in everyone. And many people will find that out much to their detriment. Do not reflect on the meaning of the word. Thinking and reflecting must cease as all mystical writers insist. The repetition of a word or phrase can in fact be soothing and very freeing. Helping us, says Nuwan, uh, to empty out our crowded interior life and create a quiet space where we can dwell with God. Now, let's look at... So much of our music, our Christian music, you mean you sing the same thing over and over and over again? Well, I'm, I'm glad that our church doesn't do that. I was being a little sarcastic there. I'm just glad our church... However, however, I think that our new ministry of music not anywhere near as bad in that regard as the prior. I'm not going to go any farther on that. I'm going to get Rex. Star Wars mentions the Force. Is that what about the inner? Yes, and the the spiritual thing. And you just got to get in touch with the Force. And then the Force, you know, hey, you can fight with the lightsaber with your eyes closed because the Force will guide you. You see where it's all going? You got it. You're beginning to see now. I think. All right. Truth number four. The authors in the, evangelical, in the evangelical church have latched on to contemplative prayer. Dan. What about things like martial arts? Are, are they not good or are they not bad? I mean, they, I, I, was a, I was a Taekwondo student for years. Right. I understand. I took Taekwondo aspects. when I was in high school. Uh, is the physicality of it a problem? No, it's fine. But once you start getting very far, where, where does Kung Fu come from? The Shaolin Temple. What's going on in that Shaolin Temple? Yeah, that's why I'm asking that question. You know. So yes, the techniques I think are fine. What's behind the techniques are not. But a lot of, a lot of it is getting in touch with your internal, internal self to, to be able to... And that is totally contrary to the scripture. Totally contrary. And if you start doing that, you're leading down a road you don't want to go. Now, why do these Christian leaders or authors latch on to the contemplative prayer? Because it sells books. You look at Jesus' calling. If you go into a Christian bookstore, what is one of the first things you're going to see? And it's all there and all these different things, you know. It's, you're going to find the, the small devotional book like I had. Then you're going to find a bigger uh, devotional book where you can make notes on the side to record when somebody tells you something, when Jesus you know, calls on you, and you can write it down. And then you're going to get, see the Jesus Calling Study Bible, where the notes from Jesus Calling are going to be integrated in your Bible to teach you what the Bible's really saying, as opposed to what Jesus said. And the same kind of thing is happening here with contemplative prayer. Uh, yes? On the Jesus Calling, and most people may not do that, but you know, you have the information about the author's experiences that you ever get into the daily devotional. Well, yeah, but a lot of that's been excised out now in the most... Yes, it's been removed. You know, it, that Jesus Calling was printed in China, you know that. Yeah, it's in China. 
where that, that's being printed. And it's being, they've eliminated a number of things. That's why I keep, won't let Julie throw away my Jesus calling from, uh, from yeah. It'll be in there in the old one. Well, go look, at, go look in one of the new ones sometime. You walk in a Christian bookstore and see if it has that in there at the front. You'll see the changes. Because people have been pointing that out. So they can say, oh, it's, that's, that's not in here. Yeah, not anymore. So, we have some very popular authors uh, in the evangelical church who've latched on to contemplative prayer as a way to go deeper with God. Richard Foster and, and, and Brennan Manning have held countless workshops. They speak in churches, seminaries, and youth gatherings. They say Christians have developed two fundamental expressions of unceasing prayer. The first is called the aspiratory prayer or breath prayer. And the most famous of the breath prayers is the Jesus prayer. And it's also possible to discover your own individual breath prayer. Where does it tell you in the Bible you need a breath prayer? Richard Foster, in his 1998 edition of the Celebration of Discipline, he makes several recommendations of books that are helpful to read in this regard, and he heartily endorses Tilden Edwards' book, Spiritual Friend. And here's some quotes from Edwards' book. This mystical stream, that is contemplative prayer and other monastic traditions, is the Western bridge to Far Eastern spirituality and to that of the Suftis Muslims. This exchange, together with the more popular Eastern impact in the West through transcendental meditation, Hatha yogurt, martial arts, and through many available courses in Eastern religions and universities have aided a recent rediscovery of Christian apophatic mystical tradition. And that is something we've got to stay away from. Mark. Just to circle back here on D2, for Foster and Manning, since you said it held countless workshops and churches understand that, does anybody, I'll just throw this out, does anybody know that they've um, spoken at any of our seminaries here in the Dallas Fort Worth area, like, uh, you know, DTS or Dallas uh, Southwestern? Does anybody know? I'm not aware. I, I hope not. Uh, well, no, because our church taught Now you're going to get me in serious trouble. But has there been a DU course where some of these things may have been taught? I, look, maybe I'm not going to say anything. And that may be the case. But what you ought to do is look at the listings of the various courses that have been available the last two times because I've seen it and you'll see the spiritual rhythms just look you'll have to find that out yourself I'm not gonna I'm not going any farther on that you know going back to Jesus calling for a minute you think that really horrified me and I'm not going to mention the church for Mother's Day if you hear that the gift to all the mothers in that church uh, well, that's sad. We need to understand that these people are claiming, for example here, the new ecumenism involved here is not between Christian and Christian. You know, there's been this ecumenical movement for a long time. Uh, the new ecumenicism, you know, ecumenical movement was the churches all coming together. They're saying now the new ecumenicism involved here is not Christian and Christian, but between Christians and the grace of other intuitively deep religious traditions. Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, 
Muslim religion, Islam. A simple method of contemplative prayer, often called sinner, has four steps. Choose a single secret, sacred word. Repeat the sacred word internally, slowly, and often. Now, during a conference on contemplative prayer, the question was put to Thomas Merton. How can you best help people, not just Christians, to attain union with God? Now, how do you, does the Bible tell us how to obtain a union with God? Yeah, it does. His answer, though, was very clear. We must tell them that they are already united with God. Contemplative prayer is nothing other than coming into conscience of what is already there. You see, God is inside of you. You just have to find Him. And if you'll be silent enough and long enough, you will get there. Another, in an interview, uh, Brennan Manning recommends William O'Shannon's book, Silence on Fire. And Thomas Keaton's book also. But in Silence of Fire, O'Shannon blasts the Christian biblical God. Now listen to what he says. This is one of the prime guys writing on contemplative prayer. This is a typical patriarchal notion of God. He is the God of Noah who sees people deep in sin, repents that he made them, and resolves to destroy them. He is the God of the desert who sends snakes to bite his people because they murmured against him. He is the God of David who practically decimates a people. He is the God who exacts the last drop of blood from his son so that his just anger evoked by sin may be appeased. This God whose moods alternate between graciousness and fierce anger, this God does not exist. Now, I, don't, I couldn't sit and listen to somebody say that, but you begin to see what is going on. The final truth, the fifth truth I want you to see. Finding the God within us versus what the Bible says about the heart of man. That's what we got to see. What does the Bible say is down there if we look on the, the... It's important to note here that the purpose of contemplative prayer is to enter an altered state of consciousness in order to find one's true self and thus finding God. This true self relates to the belief that man is basically good. Man is basically good. Christian proponents of contemplative prayer teach that all human beings have a divine center and that all, not just born-again believers, should practice contemplative prayer. First of all, what good does it do praying to God if you're not a believer? You have no right to enter His throne room. He doesn't listen to you. You know, you know a lot of people got in trouble. They say, well, does God listen to the prayers of Jews? Well, if they're born again, yes. Now, Jesus always listens to one prayer that a Jew could pray, and that is, save me. But other than that, no. And they think we're very closed-minded and exclusive uh, because of that. But the belief is that the heart of man, in the heart of man we find God. That is really saying we are God. If you think about it. If they're saying, in your heart you go deep enough you find God, what does that mean? And you are God. The God who dwells in our inner sanctuary is the same as the one who dwells in the inner sanctuary of every human being. Deep within us, all there is is an amazing inner sanctuary of the soul, a holy place, a divine center. Even people who have not yet turned their lives over to Jesus Christ can and should practice them, these spiritual disciplines. 
If I find Christ, I will find my true self. And if I find my true self, I will find Christ. That's where contemplative prayer leads. We need to understand the final docking point here of this ship that they want us to sail on. Because, listen to this quote, it is a glorious destiny to be a member of the human race. Now I realize what we all are. If only people could come to see themselves as they really are. I suppose the big problem would be that we would fall down and worship each other. Fall down and worship each other. Now Daniel's my friend. I'm not falling down and worshiping him. And he would probably smack me if I did. And he said, I suppose uh, at the center of our being is a point of nothingness, which is untouched by sin and by illusions, a point of pure truth, this little point, it is the pure glory of God in us. It is in everybody. Finally, occultism is defined as science of mystical evolution. It is the employment of the hidden mystical faculties of man to discern the hidden reality of nature. That is to see God as all in all. The Bible, on the other hand, teaches something much different than that. It reveals that the center of man is not God, but rather sinful and wicked. Look at the scripture here. In Matthew 15, starting verse 18, it says this, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. In Another passage I want, you to, I want you to see in Mark. It says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. That is, the man is defiled in his natural state. In Jeremiah 17.9, the prophet says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So the Bible also clearly warns us against repetitive prayer. The, and the essence of starting out in, contempl in contemplative prayer is repetition. Taking words. Saying it again. Remember, saying it over gently. And centering prayer to center to eliminate everything from your mind. In Matthew 6, 7, Jesus said this, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Now wait, who could he be referring to there as the heathen? Confucianism, Buddhism, uh, Buddhists, uh, Muslims, uh, Taoists, all of those groups that do repetitive prayer, and there was a lot of Jewish people doing it too at the time. So he says, do not do that. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions, for they think they will be heard for their many words. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, I want us to stop there, but I want us to think through this, because it's very, very important. What is that verse saying? We need to understand it. Can anyone get to God? Answer, no. How do you get to God? Through Jesus Christ. 
If you don't have Jesus Christ, you can't get to the Father. He is the one mediator. Well, what about Buddha? Can he do that? No. Can Moses? Moses would tell you if he was here. No. Can anyone else? No. Is there something inside of you that can get you there? No. If you don't have Jesus indwelling your spirit because you have received him as your personal savior, you have no chance of communicating with God. And that's all there is to it. Now, so you have to choose. You know, it's interesting. The young lady who sat right there uh, last Sunday, she sat right there, she said, well, wait a second. There are scientific studies that prove this is the way people are. I want you to think about that for just a second. Are there scientific studies that say that? Oh yeah, I'm sure there are. Number one, I've seen most of these scientific studies which say, they start off with, well, we're going to show this. They don't use a scientific method. Let's see what the facts are. Let's test them and then decide what the truth is from what we see. No, we want to start out to prove this. For example, to prove that homosexuals can't help it. That's just the way they are put together. They have no choice in the matter. They don't choose. You think about it. These scientific studies have been going on for a long time. They will tell us, for example, that man wasn't created, man evolved. And they have all these studies that, to, to prove that. If the Bible says it, those studies are wrong. You know, one of the interesting things, I can remember two things. I had a professor who once said, that, you know, you talk about this prophet Daniel. He didn't write that book. In fact, that book was written after Jesus was born, lived, and died. That's when it was written. And it was written for political purposes. It was a political narrative. To which I responded, Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? They've got copies of the book of Daniel between 250 and 175 in the Dead Sea Scrolls. If they have copies of it, how could it be written after Jesus died? <laughs> then, he, he didn't like that, but he said, we'll talk about that more next time. Then he comes back next time. Well, it's really written around 165, 167 B.C., during the time of the Maccabean Revolt. I said, have you ever read the Septuagint? It was written 250 to 200 B.C., and it's got Daniel in it. You know, you were just a troublemaker, Mr. Brady. You made, you made an F in this class, didn't you? <laughs> well, luckily, you don't sign your names. You use Social Security number. So that was another interesting time. I read, I was reading on this subject, and it said Moses, scientific study established that Moses could not have written the first five books of the Bible because Moses would have lived somewhere between 1600 and 1500 B.C., and they weren't even writing then. There's no evidence that man knew how to write written words at the time. Now, they really weren't using, prior to that, they'd say, you know, we'd come back and say, well, you know, most of the time the writing was done on clay tablets in those days. And clay tablets don't last. And so you can't tell whether there was writing or not. And then there was this wonderful discovery. In the northern part of Syria, where the king's summer palace was in a little town called Ebla. You ever heard of Ebla? I can remember when it first came out, 
I clipped that article out of the National Geographic because they didn't know what they were saying. That is how important it was that they were finding. Because what happened was, clay tablets don't last. That's true. Except this king was big on reading and he created a library in the summer palace, had over 11,000 different works, many of them on clay tablets. And then you know the reason they couldn't find that for so long, that palace, was because there was a big fire. And it destroyed the whole town, including the palace. And what happens to clay tablets when there's a fire? Oh, they get fired and baked and made permanent. And they found those. And it mentioned Abraham. It mentioned... And guess what? It turns out that there was writing a thousand to two thousand years before Moses uh, ever existed. But these scientific studies, you know, they are so accurate that we have to reject the Scripture and, and follow them. Over and over and over. And it's amazing the things that you find if you just start looking. Going back to the contemporary prayer thing, you know, the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. He's not. What with the, the New Age movement of this contemplative prayer is it's such a mishmash that it's even hard to describe because it's such a it's it's little bits and pieces from here and from there that you really can't put together and understand the support. Well, they want to have a moving target. It just smacks of Satan all over the place. And when you think about this country and the churches that have allowed people to have book studies of Jesus Calling, of Embraced by the Light, of The Shack, where the oh, yeah. God is a woman in that book, and Jesus yeah. is referred to as either sticky or slippery fingers because he drops the bowl on the floor. Jesus does. You know, and that's all, oh, and the feeling was, well, you know, I just feel closer to God in reading this. You know, it's written so simply, it's so personal. Kind of like the message. And any church is absolutely beyond. I mean, it's a satanic invasion of this country, and no wonder we can't have people. Because it says, well, you think about, not the author computing, but a peace. Think about this for just a second. What is the country that has provided more insight to godliness and what God wants and to the scriptures and sent out more missionaries than any country in the world. That is Satan's number one enemy. And unfortunately, he's winning. Well, you know what? In one, in one the, Iran calls us the big Satan. Israel's the little Satan, we're the big Satan. But the worse it gets, all we know is that means the sooner He's coming back for us. And may it be, I'm, I'm praying this fall that happens.